Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk uh, Church. Welcome to those of you who are watching uh, at another uh, venue or another site. Maybe you are at Savannah Oaks Middle School, Blackhawk Fitchburg, or maybe you're at the Upper House at Blackhawk Downtown, or maybe you're in one of the other venues here at our Brader uh, Way site, or maybe you're listening on the podcast. And welcome to all of you who are with me in this room. If you're part of our Chinese uh, ministry, Dijong Zimei Ping An. Good to be with all of you. Uh, before I launch into my talk, uh, I've got some really, uh, really uh, good news uh, to share with uh, everybody at all of our sites and all of our locations. As you know, uh, Blackhawk Church is one church in three different locations. And what I want to do now is talk about our site at our Fitchburg uh, site. Since March of 2013, almost seven years, a group of people have been meeting at Savannah Oaks Middle School Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And this Sunday, today, and they're watching me right now, is their last Sunday to meet at Savannah Oaks Middle School. As you know, uh, we purchased land about, 10, uh, about two years ago, 10 acres right off of Seminole uh, Highway, uh, just south of PD. And for uh, the last 450 days, uh, our friends at Newcomb Construction and uh, Key Architects have been pouring concrete and lifting up walls, and that facility, you guys, is finally finished. So let's hear it for that right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, as they have been pouring concrete and lifting up the walls, the people at Blackhawk Fitchburg have been pouring out their hearts to God and lifting up praises as they've been praying for the community. It's important to remember, as uh, Jimmy Barrow, who's uh, one of the pastors at the Fitchburg site, reminds me, the church didn't just pop up. It's been there for seven years. And uh, now Newcomb has built a facility for the church. And next week, uh, the church is going to be in their new uh, facility. So uh, we are so happy for what's happening and all that's taken place. Daniel Owen and his team of people have been doing such a great job. They have been praying and praying and praying for the day. You think of it, you guys. Every Sunday, they uh, turn a middle school into a church and then turn it back into a middle school. Next week... December the 15th, after 450 days, they will be in their new building. So I have a weird request, kind of a funny request, of all the other sites, the Bradaway site and the downtown site. We want everybody in the Bradaway site and the downtown site to not go to Fitchburg next week. <laughs> because if all of us go, if all 5,000 of us go, the Fitchburg uh, site... No, people that go to Fitchburg won't have a place to park or any place to go. So it's their Sunday, uh, next Sunday. All of us at Brader Way and the Upper House, we can go uh, whenever we uh, want after that. Go to one of the Christmas services or go one of the Sundays. But next Sunday, December 15th, it's uh, their site. Let's hear it again for all of the people at Fitchburg. Everybody, yeah. We're happy for you guys. Awesome. And the good news gets even better. That building that you saw, yeah, that building is paid for. Praise God, yes. Because of you guys, 
And because what has happened in REACH, because of the sacrificial donations of people in our church that's given to the REACH commitment, we have paid for that building. We're not adding one penny to uh, our debt. And the REACH initiative did a lot more than just put that building up, and we'll talk about that in February, because we have been able to do all kinds of things in our community. Generosity is what Christ followers should be all about. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Think about that. It's a paradoxical statement. It's more as, as we give of ourselves, as we release sacrificially to others, it actually is benefiting us. We're more blessed to give than actually to receive. That's why here at Black Hawk Church we do Advent Conspiracy, as you've heard in all of your sites and venues, we hope to raise something like half a million dollars, and every penny of that money will go outside the walls of Blackhawk Church to help organizations locally and nationally and uh, globally. And that's why uh, every year at this time in December, uh, I make an appeal to every site and every venue uh, to remember our general fund at this time of year. If you take a second and look at your bulletin on the bottom page, uh, you'll see that we are a bit behind. And I'm asking you to join my wife and I as we give an extra amount of money to the general fund. The general fund funds everything here at Blackhawk Church. All ministries, both locally and globally, all staff, everything that you see that happens uh, is funded through uh, the general fund. So, and I am, I'm never ashamed to ask for money at Blackhawk Church because I know what our mission is at Blackhawk Church. We're about building a community to reach a community. We're about transforming lives. We're about changing eternal destinies, and I have no problem with that. So pray with my wife and I about what you might be able to do to contribute to the general fund as you seek the Lord and as you want to be blessed by him as you give we're more blessed to give than to receive. Let me give you some prayer. Thank you, Father, uh, so much for uh, all of the things that have happened at our Fitchburg locations, for the number of lives that have been transformed, the people who have come to faith in Christ. We thank you for Daniel Owen, the lead pastor there, and for his team and all the hundreds of volunteers that have made Fitchburg happen at that middle school for all of these Sundays. And we pray, Father, you would bless them as they transition uh, just a, a few uh, uh, quarter mile away from where they're at now next Sunday, and may you bless them in that brand new facility. And we pray, Father, that you would help all of us uh, to be generous, to be able to express our appreciation to you for what you've done for us as we graciously release resources unto your care. We pray these things in Christ's name, for the sake of his reputation, all God's people said in a loud voice, amen. 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 Right. Okay, today's uh, message, we are just continuing uh, in the series uh, that we have been in for the last uh, 14 weeks, and the series is called Unexpected Kingdom. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we'll have one more Sunday in this series uh, that's coming up next week. And then we'll have our Christmas, and then we'll do a five-part series that kind of gets away from this, and then we'll come back and finish the book of Mark, and it will take us all the way uh, to Easter. So we're just going to pick up where we left off last week, so go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 
8, Mark uh, chapter 8. To orientate us a little bit of what Pastor Charles said last week, go ahead and uh, look at the map that we have on the screen right now. Last week, Pastor Charles took you through a passage where Jesus has an interaction with a woman who is from this northern community uh, called Tyre. She's a Syrophoenician woman. That means she's not Jewish. She's a Gentile woman. And that was a very cool passage about how this Gentile woman demonstrates great faith in Christ. And then Jesus then went all the way down to where you can see on the map, the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is an area of 10 cities. That's why it's called the Decapolis. And these people that live there are Gentiles. At that place, Jesus then sees that everybody's hungry, and he feeds 4,000 Gentile people in the Decapolis with only seven loaves of bread. And then, after that, he takes his disciples, they get into a boat, and they go across the Sea of Galilee to Damanutha, from the Decapolis to Damanutha. There is a brief scene with the Pharisees in Damanutha that we'll see in just a minute. And then after that scene, he gets back into the boat with his disciples, and then they go to Bethsaida, the hometown of a couple of his disciples, uh, Peter and Andrew. So that's the setting uh, for today's uh, message. Everybody take your Bibles or your digital devices or whatever you use, and then turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 9, and we'll pick up where Charles left off last week. If you don't have a Bible, we have it on the screen for you. About 4,000 were present after he had sent them away. He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Okay, now he gets there and verse 11. Here we go. Three scenes, very cool scenes. I'm excited today because <laughs> what you're going to see is cool. Here we go. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him. They ask him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, crossed to the other side. This is the shortest scene in the book of Mark. He's just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread in the Decapolis. He crosses the Sea of Galilee, runs into Pharisees or the Jewish leaders, and they say, hey, show us a sign. You've got to be kidding me. What? Have you, do you not know what I've been doing all across Judea, all across Galilee, I've been doing one miracle after another, after another, after another. And he's fed up with them. His frustration comes out in that phrase. He sighs deeply. Actually, literally in the Greek text, it says, he sighs deeply in his spirit. It's a unique phrase for him. So he's very discouraged. He's very frustrated with them. And he says, basically, no sign is going to be given to you. And he gets back in the boat with the disciples, and he heads to Bethsaida. Frustrated with the blindness of the Pharisees. 
cannot see clearly at all who he is. So they get in this boat. Now, before we pick up the narrative, I want to ask this question to everybody, all sites and venues, participate. How many of you have ever experienced, ever been in a canoe? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Okay, lots of people. Okay. All right. I've been in a canoe many times, and I have all kinds of pictures about that kind of stuff and stuff like that, but I'm not going to tell you a bunch of stories about a canoe, but I love being in a canoe. One thing you've got to learn about being in a canoe is that don't stand up in a canoe, okay? So if you stand up in a canoe, just imagine this. If you ever stood up in a canoe, stand up in a canoe, because like, like this, like this, really like this, shake it, wobbly, wobbly, wobbly. Even on calm water, if you stand up in a canoe and, and you're in some rapids, well, you're, you're dumped. You're going to go over. Because canoes are very unstable. All right. The disciples are not in a canoe with Jesus. They're in some kind of a boat. But whenever they're in a boat with Jesus, and this is the third scene in the book of Mark where they're in a boat with Jesus, they say something to Jesus that demonstrates that their faith in him as the Messiah is like standing up in a canoe. They open their mouth and say something that reveals the fact that they're like a little shaky about like who he is and what he's doing. When they're in the boat, they should keep their mouth shut. Because every time they open their mouth, some non-faith statement comes out. Now we're ready to read. Verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. We got to stop for a second. How many people did Jesus just, did he just feed with seven loaves? How many people? 4,000 people. He rebukes the Pharisees in Dalmanutha. They get in a boat. They're making their way to the Bethesda. And somebody says, where's the bread? Oh, we got just, we got one loaf. Oh my gosh, we're going to get hungry. What, 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 what? You're with Jesus. There's no hunger around Jesus. You get that? They're like, they're arguing like, well, we just got one, we got one loaf. What are we going to do? Jesus knows they're saying this. So Jesus says, be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Oh my gosh. Don't open your mouth. When Jesus talks about the yeast of the Pharisees, he's not talking about literal bread here. Come on, you guys. They're not seeing clearly. They don't understand what he's about, what he's saying. Do you guys follow me? Are you guys following me? They're like, he can produce bread, you guys. Don't worry about being hungry. You got one loaf. That's going to work. And when they express their concern about having one loaf, Jesus says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears 
but failed to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Oh, 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? How you guys doing? I'm a little too excited. Let me calm down. Just get in the boat with him. Do you see what's happening here? He's calling them out. He's calling them out. They're not seeing clearly. They don't understand who he is and what he can do. And these are the guys that have been with him. Did you see that in the passage? Look back at the passage again. Do you have eyes but fail to see? Ears but fail to hear? Do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? Come on. That's what's going on, you guys. Jesus calls it the yeast of the Pharisees. Yeast of Herod. Be careful that doesn't happen to you. Did you see that? Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What is that? What's that? Yeast. Literally, the term is leaven. And for those of us who are unfamiliar with uh, cooking in the ancient world, uh, so leaven was, um, you cook something that has yeast in it, and then you uh, pull a piece of that raw dough out, and you keep that. That's leaven. And then you bake that big piece of bread. And then but the next time you're going to make some bread, you take the small batch that you had from the previous batch and you mix that with the dough. And then you pull out a piece of that. That's the leaven. It's got yeast in it. It doesn't take a lot of yeast to spread to the entire creation of the dough and make it rise. What do you think the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod is? It's, it's, it's blindness. It's, it's, an, it's an inability to see. It's not having faith in what he's actually doing. Jesus is frustrated with that. I mean, he left the Pharisees. Now he's in the boat with his disciples, and they're going, oh, we don't, we don't have enough bread here. I don't know what we're going to do. You guys, hello. Can't you see? Can't you understand? How you guys doing? They're in the boat. Jesus is rebuking them. And their faith in him is like this. Oh, I'm not sure. You ever been like that with God? Sometimes life flows by like a song and everything is wonderful. And then all of a sudden something happens in your life. And you go, oh, oh, God. Where are you? You ever been like that? You ever been in a boat like that? Now the boat just happens to land in a city. And then a very interesting thing just happens to happen. Verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a what? Who? A blind, a blind man. Oh, isn't that interesting? And begged Jesus to touch him. 
He took the blind man by the hand. What did he do with him? He, and led him outside the village. So the idea is away from people. So it's just the disciples and Jesus and this blind guy. When he had, what does that say? When he had what? Spit. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see perfectly. No, he didn't say that. He said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything. What's that word? Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go to the village. Oh, this is an odd thing, isn't it? This is very strange here. All of a sudden, Jesus runs into a blind man, takes him outside the city where it's just him and his disciples and the blind guy. And he, what does he do? He spits in the man's face. And then he says, well, can you see now? And he goes, well, not really. I can see people, but they kind of look like trees. I don't know. What's wrong with Jesus? Has he not been working out? Has he lost his ability to do miracles? How come this miracle is in stages? The only healing miracle of Jesus in stages. And then he touches the man, and now he can see clearly. Why would he spit in this man's face? The Greek word for uh, spit is this word, tuo. <laughs> Why don't we practice our Greek right now? <laughs> Everybody practice Greek right now. Okay, with, with some energy. One, two, three, tuo. A little louder, a little harder. Ready? One, two, three, tuo. Okay, now apologize to the person in front of you because you probably just spit on them. It's onomatopoeia. That's what an English teacher would want to tell you, onomatopoeia. So the, the action sounds like the word tuo. Some scholars believe that Jesus spit because there's some ancient literature that talks about uh, the uh, so-called uh, medicinal and magical effects of, of the spittle in some ancient Near Eastern settings. But if you read the Hebrew Bible and understand what was going on in Jesus' world, in his world, in Palestine, and you looked at all the Hebrew references to spitting in someone's face in the Hebrew Bible, and there's several, every time it's offensive. Have you ever had somebody spit in your face? I mean, I hope not. But if you have, it's offensive. It's offensive. It's offensive. When Jesus, in that man's face, all the disciples saw that. Oh, oh my gosh. And then what's, what does Jesus do then? He asks, look, go back to the passage. What does he say? When he has spit in the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asks, do you see anything? It's like Jesus is like wondering, is this working now? Is this working you know the guy that can heal anybody and raise people from the dead. Hey, is this working? And, and then he looked up and said, oh, I see people that kind of look like trees walking around. Now, who would the people be that looks like trees walking around? Be the, the disciples, probably. And it's kind of fuzzy, a little fuzzy. And then Jesus 
puts his hands on him, and he can see clearly. Why would Jesus heal a blind man in stages with something offensive in the middle? Because he's trying to teach his disciples that one day they will see clearly. But they're not on the same page with him right now. They don't see clearly at all. Because the very next passage, as Pastor Charles will show you next week, he's going to take these people to Caesarea Philippi. He's going to say, who do people say that I am? Well, some say this, some say this. And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And when Peter and the disciples say, you're the Christ, their idea of who the Christ is and Jesus' idea of who the Christ is and what he does is not the same at all. Because Jesus tells his disciples, great, you get it, now I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And when he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, Peter pulls the Messiah aside and rebukes the Messiah. Oh, no, 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 you're not going to die. Why would Peter say that? Because he's a Jewish man. And he's Jewish proud. And the Messiah is the hero. The Messiah is the Superman. And the idea that Romans would kill the Superman, that's offensive to a Jewish person. You fight over that. But Jesus dies on the cross. It's an offensive concept to a Jewish person. But then when he rises from the dead, his disciples go, oh, now I get it. Not one disciple, not one disciple was at the empty tomb waiting. Not one disciple. When he died on a cross, their whole thing was like, boom, it's gone now. Jesus shows up and they go, oh, now. Disciples are blind. And what Jesus is doing, as he's done in the book of Mark, and he will continue to do, as we'll see next spring, he is showing, but not telling. He is living out a parable, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel. Jeremiah purchases some clay at a potter's house and says, let's talk about the clay now. Let's talk about what's going. Jesus is living out a parable. That's why he spits in a man's face. He does something offensive that's offensive. And then eventually, the man can see. You think his disciples would remember the healing of Bethsaida? After the resurrection, they would. How are we doing? Pastor Chris, how does a passage like this apply to our lives today? Good golly. Three lessons for our lives. First lesson for our life. Following Christ is a process. We learn in stages. We don't get it all of a sudden. We learn in stages. Because all of a sudden we think God is on our side. We come to faith in Christ. We think everything is going to go well. And then something happens. The roof caves in. The floor of our faith gives way. And we're like, whoa. I don't, well, I don't know if God... God might not even exist anymore. And we go through, we learn things on rough roads we would never learn on smooth roads. And God knows that. So we learn in stages. 
I remember when I came to faith in Christ in college and started to grow like crazy. I thought, I thought God was kind of my genie, basically. And I could, like, pray, and then things would work out perfectly. You know, that kind of thing. So back in that day, I was, like, my world was athletics. I was an athlete, believe it or not. And, and I, and I, the end of my career, my senior year in college, I, I prayed that God would help me do good in this national competition, really big, my whole biggest meet in my career. I did horrible. I fell flat on my face. Not really, actually. I, I did a handstand, and I walked in a handstand. I never walked. I could probably do a handstand right now. Not walking out. Don't say you want me to do it now. I'm going to do it. And I couldn't understand why. Why would God let me down? And then I was going to go to graduate school, but I couldn't get in. All my friends were going to graduate school. And when I was doing this, a year after I graduated from college, I was working in the back of a truck on the graveyard shift, making minimum wage in Fort Wayne, Indiana, listening to my friends who had gone to medical school and law school. Talk about how successful their life is. I thought, my gosh, I'm a failure. What's going on with God here? How many of you have experienced something like that in your life where things are going really well and then all of a sudden something happens and it's like, oh my gosh, what is God up to? Have you ever had that thought? Raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Everybody look around. Everybody look around. When you have that thought, it's a normal thing. It's normal. It's part of the process because following Christ is a process. We learn in stages. Next lesson for our life. Good teachers don't just tell us the answers. Good teachers ask what? Questions. Ask questions. And it's frustrating. It's all, get out when they do that. See how many questions Jesus asked his disciples when he's in the boat with them? See that? Let's go back to that. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves and the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? When I broke the seven loaves and the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Do you still not understand? Those are eight questions, you guys. Boom, 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 boom. Good teachers don't just give the answers. They ask questions. They want us to figure it out. Figure it out. Don't you hate that? How many of you ever had a class when you were going to school that was just really, really, really difficult, and you just it just didn't make sense to you at all. Have you ever experienced a class like that? All sites and venues, raise your hand. Right like that. All right, good. My class was algebra in high school. And I could not figure it out at all. Our teacher was Mrs. Pugh. I thought she was the worst teacher in the world. Because all I wanted was the answers. All I wanted was the answers. But Mrs. Pugh enjoyed watching Chris struggle. You know, when the, quiz, when the quiz is happening, you know, she would just look from her desk and just watch us. And then she'd just look over at me. When I'm like looking over, wonder what Rachel has on her paper over there. <laughs> what did John put on his paper over there? She'd say, Chris, 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 your own paper. I didn't care about the process. I just wanted the right answer. 
so I could get a good grade and all that kind of stuff. But Mrs. Pugh cared about the process. She wanted me to suffer. <laughs> when I would turn in my quiz and get the quiz back, it looked like a red pin had exploded on the paper. We want God to show up. I want you to give me the answer here. Now he's a good teacher. God is like Mrs. Pugh. He wants us to suffer and wrestle and figure out that two and two is not really five. Two and two is not really three. Oh, something else. And that whole exploring, failing, Exploring and failing. Yeah, good teachers love that. Third lesson for our life. Don't forget what God has already done in your life. Don't forget that. What did Jesus do with these guys? It was a question. Go back to the text again. What did he say? He says, when I broke the five loaves, how many basketball? And when I broke the seven He's trying to get them. Were you with me when I did the 5,000? Were you with me? Have you been around? Did you see what I've done in your life? Listen, many of us are in situations right now where we're like, we feel like we're in a canoe and it's going like this. And we're about ready to bail ship. And it's like, oh my gosh, maybe God's not. Oh, oh, oh. Remember. Remember. Just Remember. Has God answered any prayers in your life? Do you remember those? When has God shown up in your life? Do you remember that? What has God done in your past? Can you remember that? Sometimes life is so difficult and overwhelming, we want to just chuck the whole thing. Shh. Just forget it. God's not doing what I want him to do. If you went canoeing with me in the Canadian wilderness and you'd never been canoeing with me before, and I know there's rapids coming up, this is what I would tell you before we hit the rapids. Make sure your life jacket's on, and if you go over, stay with the boat. Stay with the boat. It's going to float. Some of us are in a place right now where we feel like God's abandoned us, completely abandoned us. Stay with the boat, you guys. Stay with the boat. Stay with God. God is faithful and just, and he will never abandon you. Ever. Ever. But he might not be doing things the way you want him to do things, because he's like Mrs. Pugh. This is what Paul wrote at the end of Romans 8. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We learn things on rough roads. We'll never learn on smooth roads. Don't abandon God. He's not going to abandon you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a faithful God, so faithful. We thank you, Father, for being patient with us. We thank you, God, for bringing things into our lives that were hard, 
difficult for us. We thank you, Father, that uh, we can remember that like the disciples, uh, yeah, we learn in stages too. We don't learn everything all at once. We pray, Father, you'd help us to be patient as we depend upon you, a faithful God who will never abandon us. In the meantime, help us to see clearly. We pray this in Christ's name and for the sake of his reputation, all God's people said. Amen.